0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit of Pew Podcast in this week's Adult Bible study as we continue our study of Exodus and the life of Moses. It's a little tough to say both because we may go beyond Moses, not sure, but well, we won't cover all of Exodus. But we're just spending some time in the book of Exodus. And today we are in the passage we we ended last week where Moses is dealing with some insecurity. But God answered him that he is the I am. And Moses is about to head back. He hasn't been back in 40 years. I'll mention some of that at the beginning. He's about to head back to Israel. And he's going to confront Pharaoh. But more, maybe more, I don't know the right word, but maybe more intimidating is he's going to have to face Israel. And how is that going to go? We'll see one thing at the beginning of this lesson and another thing at the end of the lesson. And so... I think I entitled this lesson, When Your Fears Come True. Something to that effect. What to do when your fears come true. I hope this is a blessing to you and encouragement. I will be away next Sunday, so I'm not going to be teaching on the book of Exodus. So um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'll do a little pre-recording before I leave town. I don't know if I will just skip it altogether or if I will record something different. We will see. But thank you for listening to the podcast. Hope this is encouragement to you. Please leave a review. Share it with a friend, and I'd love your feedback. Go to our website, bradmcclure.org, get on our email subscribers list, and I would love to hear back from you. So without further ado, let's get into this week's study, What to Do When Your Fears Come True. Have a good day. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Exodus, back to Exodus, and this time we are in chapter five. Actually, I'm going to finish up chapter four. Uh, for a specific reason <clears throat> and so whether you're in Exodus 5 the beginning or the end of chapter 4 it doesn't really matter but I want to I go here you may remember that last week when we were, got into our study Moses was full of excuses in a sense he was saying multiple things about himself, about the people he's been gone, does anybody remember how long he's been gone out of Egypt at this point? 40 years. Just remember 40. When it comes to Moses, the number 40. He was in Egypt 40 years. He was out of Egypt 40 years, 40 years wandering. Um, And so he lived about 120 years. And uh, so just remember the number 40 and you'll remember him. But for 40 years, he's he's been married now. He's been on the backside of a desert as a shepherd. But God came to him in that burning bush, said, I'm going to send you back. I've heard the cries of my people Israel as they are in bondage. And you're going to bring them out of that bondage. And Moses immediately was met with insecurity. He was saying, I can't do this, God. Who am I? They won't believe me. Pharaoh's not going to listen. And so he he was faced with a lot of, of insecurity. But in spite of that insecurity, and in spite of his what seemingly deficiencies, being not being able to speak, God did get frustrated with them and said, Okay, just take Aaron. Aaron's going to be a spokesman. And he sent him back. And so now Moses and Aaron come back. We didn't get to this towards the end, but I want you to see, starting in chapter 4, verse 29, and it says this, and, and just notice how Moses was received after 40 years by the Israelites. It says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Notice that Aaron spoke them because Moses kept saying, I can't speak, I can't speak. Even though he can't talk, he may or may not have had a speech impediment. And so now Aaron is speaking the words for Moses, all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. What were those signs? may remember those signs? The one was that Rod threw it down turned into a snake hand in the coat pull it back out turns into leprosy he's done these signs in front of them to show the people hey god's called me he told me to show you these things so they're doing exactly what god's plan was and notice verse 31 and the people believed so you think man everything's going good the people believed it goes on not only did they believe it says and when they heard the lord had visited the children of israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a moment! I mean, what a great moment! He's been gone for forty years. The last thing he remembers about being there was two Egyptian, or two, excuse me, two Israelites fighting, and then he tried to stop it, and they they criticized him, and they they kind of exposed that everybody knows about the murder he had had the day before, days before, to the Egyptian. So he didn't have a good feeling in his stomach going back, but except he had the promise of God, when he comes back, everything's going well, and they're worshiping, and he is on the mountaintop. But I like what one person said. They said, mountaintop experiences are wonderful, but the direction off of most mountains is down. And so it's not uncommon to experience adversity after we have encountered the Lord in special ways. And I found that to be true in life. A lot of times after those mountaintop experiences, we use that metaphorically all the time in the church, but you have the valleys next to the mountaintops, and you go through some valleys, and it's in the valleys that we really learn a lot. The mountaintop experiences are great, but it's the valleys where we learn and we grow in our faith. And right now, as Moses is sitting there with Aaron, if I can picture it, and it's just me picturing it, I picture Moses with a big white beard, maybe a little bit, and he's just kind of smiling, thinking, this is going great. This is going great. Everything's going. They the people have received me. This is great. Well, in this spiritual high, it's possible that he forgot that the Lord had said that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart back in chapter three, verse nineteen, and that he wasn't going to let Israel go except under really this this force. And so maybe he knew that. Maybe he understood. But this concern right here of at least I've got everybody. On behind me and on my side but i want to see chapter five i want to cover chapter five today and then really the theme verse of chapter six and that's where the hope comes in and see how much we can cover but in chapter five we're going to really three see three sections i'm going to give you the three sections and then we'll come back we're going to see how moses confronted pharaoh and what happened there then we're going to see how pharaoh responded to that confrontation and then we're going to see really what happened to get to israel after this confrontation so Let's pick up in verse 1, read here for a few minutes, and notice what it says in verse 1. It says, And afterward, so after the worshiping, notice the time stamp there. Always, when you're reading your Bible, sorry for pausing so quickly, but when you're reading your Bible, notice those keywords, therefore and afterward and stuff, and then you always want to tie context into that. So, in afterward, the context of worshiping, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. So they're on a spiritual high, they go to Pharaoh. And they said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord of our gods, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people where, wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you into your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. So here is this initial confrontation, and he's trying he tells them, he says exactly what God says. Let my people go. But he says, who is this Lord? It's not that he didn't know who the God of the Israelites was. The Israelites is a, a thriving, now, it's not a nation yet, but the thriving group of people that he's concerned about. Or, Well, that I shouldn't say. I don't want you to say he's concerned. I'm sure he is. But this is not the same Pharaoh of 40 years ago, by the way. That Pharaoh was paranoid, remember? And when Moses was a child, different Pharaoh. But still, you've got... You had these people, and now he's putting. They've been under for for hundreds of years under this this task, or for the, the burdens of these people for not maybe not hundreds, but at least we know forty, probably more than that. So they've been under this great burden, and he's he's coming. He says, "Who is this Lord?" Well, basically, what he's saying here is, I'm trying to find this in my notes here. What I had exactly. But he's not basically asking for information. When we say who is, we're asking for information. Who is Jim? Well, someone may, Cindy may tell me a little bit about it. May get the honest report if I ask her. But uh, who is Jim? Pharaoh is not asking for information. He doesn't care. He's basically saying, because he, Pharaoh believes they are bigger than anything in the world. They are the biggest in their mind. And so a God to them, they believe they are gods in many cases. And so who is this guy? He's, he's nothing compared to me. He's expressing a bold-faced arrogance to this God of Israel. And he's basically saying, who is your God to try to tell me what to do? I am a God. I am Pharaoh. That's really where he's at on this. And so the confrontation is not necessarily going well, but I don't know that Moses is necessarily 100% discouraged yet. He kind of did know in the back of his mind this was going to happen. But then in verse 6, And Pharaoh commanded the same day of the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As heretofore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. So obviously it must have been in this slave system that they had that the Egyptians would bring the straw, give it to their slaves, give it to these Israelites and let them make the straw then in these bricks and they would use it to build their whatever. Well, now they're saying, because of this complaining, because of this request, don't even go bring them the straw. So not only are they down here making this, they need to go gather their straw, get back, and make their stuff all by themselves, he says. So he goes, let them get it for themselves, verse 8. And the tail, that's another word for like for quota. So the tail of the bricks, the quota of the bricks that they need to have made, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them ye shall not diminish aught thereof for they be idle therefore they cry saying let us go and sacrifice to our God what he's saying is let the quota the tail of the quota they need to have the same amount of bricks done that they were doing when we were giving them straw and I want the same amount done when they go get the straw and get back so we're giving them more work to do but expecting the same results it's going to be hard to do it's easy for me to say up here thousands of years later to sit in an office all day myself and think, man, that's got to be difficult. I don't think I even know the half of how difficult that was. And that hot Egyptian son working all of this, trying to, get the, trying to get now the straw over, trying to get it done, the pressure. And by the way, if you don't get it done, you're getting beaten because you're a slave. They're in bondage. So it says in verse 9, let their more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw, where you can find it, yet not aught of your work shall be diminished." So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. So you notice they weren't just traveling like fifty feet over to the barn. I mean they had to go throughout all of Egypt to find straw. I mean this was a task. This was this was this was something pretty big. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw, and the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. Demanded, wherefore have you not fulfilled your tasks in making bricks, both yesterday and today, as heretofore? So now they're being beaten because of the work, and and if you're Moses now and you feel responsible for this, how would you? I don't know if you have a leadership position, if not, at least a parent or something like that. But to see that those that are underneath you have a even greater burden and having greater punishment because of some requests that you made. And Pharaoh's saying, well, if they have enough time to complain, then they need more work to do, and I'm going to give them more work. And so now all of this pressure is falling onto Moses, and now it's falling on the, painfully onto the children of Israel. And so in, starting in verse number 15, we start to see how Israel responds. Remember what they were doing back in verse 31? They believed and they were worshiping. But that's when they were on the mountaintop. How are they going to respond when they're being beaten and they're being overworked? John's got a little foresight in that. Alright, let's go verse 15. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh. So they first went to their taskmaster, Pharaoh. They didn't run to God first. They ran back to their old... So it's like... It's like the people when they have an addiction and they want relief and they go to the addiction to get relief and it only brings them into the cycle of destruction. But they think, I need that for relief... But when they get that, it only brings them into more trouble. That's a picture here. Because they're going back to the one that's causing the problems. They're complaining to the one that cannot relieve it. They, oh, sure, he can relieve it physically, but he's he doesn't care about these people. He's not going to feel broken like, oh, maybe I went a little heavy hand. He doesn't care about these people. The one who does care about them, though they feel like, is putting them through this. And God has allowed it for now. We'll see why in a bit. And so... It says, verse 16, There is no straw given unto thy servants. And they're saying to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten. But the fault is in thine own people. But he said, You're idle. You're idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. He says, you are just, you got too much time on your hands. That's why you can complain about the, what I'm doing here. You, you got too much time on your hands. So you can I'm giving you more work. He says, Go therefore now and work. For there, there shall no straw be given you, ye shall not, ye shall deliver the tail of the bricks. Just go get your quota done. Get out of my face. Go work is what he's saying to him. No compassion, no concern. Let me say this. That's how the taskmaster of Satan really is as well. That, that he doesn't care. Like We go to the, this world so many times for our relief, trying to find something, and we just find ourselves in the constant circle of, of struggle. But then in verse 19, the officers now... And the children of Israel did, so they had a group, select group of people that would speak for the people and these their officers. So the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case. And after it was said, you shall not minish aught from your bricks and your daily tasks. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way. Last time they were together with Moses, they were worshiping, it says, and as they came forth into Pharaoh and they said unto them, the Lord look upon you and judge because ye have made our Saviour and uphold. Ab- to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of servants, to put a sword in the hand to slay us. So Moses returned. So basically, that's a lot of words that we don't use today, but they were saying, hey, you did us wrong, Moses. Moses, you put us in this situation. What is going on? So they have went to Pharaoh, complained. They went now to Moses and complained. And Moses, everything he feared in chapter 3 is now coming true in chapter 5. If I were to title this lesson, I would say what to do when your fears come true. Because sometimes the thing that we fear actually does happen. There's a saying that I've heard several preachers. I've probably used it myself when I've taught a lesson. That like 90% of the things we worry about doesn't happen. And that's there's a lot of truth to that. But what happens when what you do fear or what you do anticipate is going to happen actually does happen. And that's what happened in this situation. Moses was saying, they're not going to believe me. And guess what? At first they believed, but now they don't believe. Moses said, they're going to, they're going to think I can't do this. And at first they thought he could, but now they're changed. Their, everything that he was fearing is actually starting to happen. So how is Moses going to respond? They responded with criticism. What's Moses do? Verse 22, and Moses returned unto the Lord. It's a pretty wise decision. It's the best thing we can do. That, I mean, that really could be the simple lesson right there. There's more good stuff in chapter 6 that, in God's answer. But what do you do when your fears come true? Return to the Lord. That's really it. See, that's way too simple. But that's our lifeline. That's everything. We've got to learn. The Christian life is learning that on a daily basis, I've got to be on my knees before God. He's my only hope is God. Whether my fears come, whether I'm on the mountaintop, I need God. When I'm in the valley, I need God. When the fears come true, I need God. We've got to be on our face before God. So he returned to the Lord and said, Lord, and he was very open with God. And I like this. I really do. I think it's genuine. I don't believe it's disrespectful. He says to the Lord, Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered Thy people at all. I think Moses was very raw before God. Sometimes we fear we feel like we can't come before God and be ourselves. God already knows everything about you. He already knows. So just cry out to God. There's a there's a respectful way to be open with God. And I don't think every time you pray you have to sit down and go, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this, this. Now I don't understand what's going on in my life. No, just some. There's some times when it's just straight to the point. God, what's going on here? God, I don't know how to get through this. God cares about us. And he knows already what's going on in us. But he wants us to pour it out to him. And here Moses is pouring out his request to God. And he's saying, God, you sent me for these people. And they believed. And and now Pharaoh's made things more difficult. I don't know that he knew that was coming. That was a little twist on his plan. That now I'm watching those that I'm supposed to lead suffer more because of me. I'm not suffering more. They're suffering more because of my words. And, and that's a burden on him and it's, and it's breaking him and so how does God going to respond to this in chapter 6 he says then the Lord saith unto Moses he didn't rebuke him for coming to God he didn't rebuke him for his strong prayer he just says now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh he doesn't even mention Israel he says I'm you're going to get to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh now he said for with a strong hand shall he let them go and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of the land God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. That's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I'm Jehovah. I am the God. And he says, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God. By the name of God Almighty, but by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them I have established also my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6 and 7 is the key verses here, where I'm going to wrap things up in several points, but I'm going to wrap them up in verse 6 and 7. It says, Wherefore, wherefore say unto the children of Israel, here's the message to the people that are hurting right now. Here's what I want you to tell them. Of the Egyptians. Verse 8, and I will bring you into the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it you for a heritage. I am the Lord. Notice how he started? I am the Lord. Don't forget me. I'm the covenant keeping God. I am Jehovah, the covenant keeping God. Then he finished with I am the God, and in between there was all these I wills. Okay? So what was he saying to this discouraged people? What was his message to them? I think it was a message of compassion. He was showing them that he cares for them. He showed them, first of all, he cares about their frustrations. Because he says in the first part of verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens and the bondage. Now, you've got to remember, as I said this in lesson 1, you may I don't know if you still get, remember You probably have it in the back of your head, but Egypt is always a picture of the, the world. It's always a picture of the world in the Bible. You just if you study throughout the Bible. It's, and here it's a picture of bondage, it's a picture of the world. And it's it's. we said the theme of this book is redemption. And so here is people that need to be redeemed. And he says, I'm going to bring you out of the burdens and the bondage. And I think about how God cares for their burdens and bondage and God cares for our burdens. And what are burdens? Burdens are things that we worry about. It's concerns, it's problems that we have. We all have burdens, things that we worry about. If I went through this room and I said, let's make a list of all of our worries, it may be some similarities in it, but it's all we have. Our, each one has our nuances of how we're a little bit, it's a little bit different here, and I'm a little concerned about this, and I'm worried about this. Every one of us have our burdens, and God tells us to cast those cares or cast those burdens back in, but he cares for the burdens. And just as he wanted to relieve them of the burdens that they had from Egypt, in our modern day today, he still, part of his ministry is to relieve the burdens of those his children. He cares for our burdens. And so when we look at this story, don't look at that just as a history lesson of what happened thousands of years ago. Look at it as an example of how God works today because he's the same God. The Bible says he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And just as God wanted to relieve his people under the burdens that they have, he wants to relieve you of the burdens that you have. And relieve, by relieve, I don't mean take away all the time. Because they're still going to be there. But God gives a grace to help us in those times. We all have burdens. He says, he also mentions their, their bondage. What is bondage? Well, bondage, that, that's different than burdens. And bondage is something that controls us. It could be other people. Sometimes people are controlling. It could be substances. We've seen people controlled by alcohol or drugs. It could be sins that are controlling us or attitudes. But he says, I want to relieve you from the bondage of of Egypt, which is a great picture of the bondage that we have today in our lives. And some of us who deal with some different controlling things in our lives that we struggle with, God is there. The only relief that we have is God. We have to come the same way they are and pour everything out before God and trust in him to relieve us from the burdens and the bondage. He says he wants to. He cares about their frustrations. Then he cared about their freedom because he says in verse 6 after that, he says, and I will rid you of their bondage and will redeem you with a stretched out arm. He was going to redeem them from Egypt. Just as I'm hoping that everyone in this room has had a moment when you can say when you've been redeemed from your sins. I hope there's been a time in your life when When you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We were just talking about this, and I won't I won't say any names just to keep it private. We have someone that that currently comes to our church who admittedly says, I am not saved. I know everything, but and they come to more services than some of our members. But they admittedly say, I am not saved. You, they're not, they're not hateful about it. They just, they're, they're waiting on something or a feeling or something, and they, but they, they, will be here this morning. And they will, if you were to say when'd you get saved, you would not know it. You would, but they would just say, "I'm not saved." I have a family that are in the ministry and all these different things. I'm just not saved. Crazy situation. Like we were just praying about it. It's a crazy situation. Great person. And but they would just claim not say, but they know they need to be redeemed, but they're just waiting on something. Now I hope everyone in this room has been redeemed. Did you know there's been a time when I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and you have that freedom because God wants us to have that freedom from our sins, that this freedom from the penalty of our sins. But then what about though the presence? What not the presence? That's when we get to heaven. But what about the power of our sin? You know, God wants to deliver us from that as well. And when we studied Romans recently, Romans chapter six, we got into there. Remember when that verse says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. A lot of us in our Christian lives, we don't go around as trying to find straw so that we can make bricks and make our A lot of us in our Christian lives, even though we've been set free, we're going around struggling with sin that Jesus has already given us victory for. We, we, we can live on the winning side but we act as if we have no victory over that sin, and and if that's if that's you, this is just a top. This is just a surface over. But you need to go to Romans chapter six, and you need to just fall down before God and claim Romans chapter six and study about how he says, "Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body." Sin has been defeated. Doesn't mean you're going to be sinless. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But sin doesn't have to have the winning record over you all the time. Because you got Jesus Christ on your side. And I don't think it's hard. And sometimes I have to remove the fact, being raised in church, I even take this for granted sometimes. But we have to get back to the reality of, do we really believe what we always say? And it's, that is that Jesus really did win victory. We sing victory in Jesus. We have it. I just, we got to claim it. Like, you get it, you, you, we start getting maybe sort of the, the bad attitudes or some of these opposites of the fruit of the Spirit. we like, well, that's just how it is. Well, no, you, we have victory in Jesus. Claim the victory right now. But a lot of times I just don't want to claim the victory. I just want to have a bad attitude or I just want to get revenge or I just want to, well, we, okay, then, then we have victory. We have to claim it. So Jesus, he wanted them to be, uh, he wanted them, he cared about their frustrations. He cared about their freedom. And then he goes on. In verse 7, he says, And I will take you to me for a people. What does that sound like? It sounds like fellowship. God God not only cared about their their frustrations and their freedom, but he cared about fellowship with them. He wanted them to be his people. He wanted to fellowship with them and and have time with them. That's the same thing in the New Testament Christianity. In the New Testament, God desires intimacy. He wants to grow. He wants to know you. He wants to talk with you every day. And that's why we often talk about get in your Bible every day. Why? Because God wants to communicate with you. That's why we say pray every day. Why? Because God wants to hear from you. God wants to talk with you. He, he desires that fellowship with you every day. And you, we hear it so much, I fear, sometimes we become numb to that truth. We're like, yeah, I know, read your Bible and pray. We can become numb to it. But I'm, but it's, it's the most practical thing in the Christian life that you can do. And the The God who created this world is just right there waiting for you every single day. We just got to pray. We've just got to get serious about our prayer life. We've got to get serious about our fellowship with God. He provides a personal fellowship. It's a very personal time fellowship He wants to have. God wants to fellowship with me just like He wants to fellowship with my wife. And and the the, the relationship that He wants to have with me is personal. The relationship He wants to have with her is personal. When we may have a, a our own spiritual lives that are going on with us together. But God wants to very personal, in a very personal way, speak to her. And there's some times that maybe she'll say something to me that has God spoken to her. And I'm like, wow. There's been other times that God's spoken to me. And I'm like, I, when I shared Wednesday night, I talked about going to the the good news. Not the good news. I keep saying that. The seed line service. And I talked about how the guy's message actually spoke to my heart that night. I don't know if he spoke to her. She could have been sitting there thinking, when are we? And she wouldn't do this, but what she could have been thinking: When are we going to get out of here? You know, maybe she was thinking that. And I would be think, and, and that specific service, I was like, man, I'm eating this up. There may be other services when she was like that was. And there's been times she said, that was the greatest message ever. And I remember thinking, what message did Dad preach? And I don't even remember what, he, but it's just it's. But what it is, may, God speaks to each one of us in a very personal way. He loves us. God cares for us. We have to fellowship with him. he It's a personal fellowship, and it's a powerful fellowship. That when when he, was, he was saying to them in, in, in that verse, verse 7, he says, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be your God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, that bringeth you out from under the burdens. He says, you're going to know it, and it's going to be a powerful thing. And they are going to know, because they're going to see water turn to blood. They're going to see locusts. They're going to see all this. They don't know that yet. We already know the story. They don't know all these miracles are coming. But God's saying, I'm going to show you my love for you and my relationship with you in a very powerful way. And you know what? Call me crazy, but I think God still wants to do that in our lives today. He's not going to turn your bathwater into blood. okay? He's not going to do anything like that. But the Bible says in, in the Gospels that God says, Greater works than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. I think that God wants to do great things in our lives today but I think we as Christians are just not where we need to be, starting right here with your teacher. When I read the Gospels, God's saying to them, and I read the New Testament, God's saying, hey, I want to do great works. Man, I'm going to answer prayer. I can do exceeding, abundantly above all that you ask or think. And just ask, and it shall be given. If you have faith in the grain of a mustard seed, you can move this mountain, all this. And I'm sitting here in my life going, man, I must be a wretched sinner. So is the Bible not true? No, well, the Bible's true. It comes to us. we got to take God serious. God wants this fellowship with us. God said to Israel, Hey, guys, you just got to believe me. I'm going to show you my power. It's a powerful relationship. It's a personal relationship, but it's a powerful relationship. And it's powerful in us that God wants to work through you. I am not looking at a person in this room that God doesn't want to work through. God wants to show. God can answer your prayer in a great way. A lot of these missionary biographies you may read, those guys... They were really just everyday people that lived in some village. And God used them. Why? Because they believed God. God just needs humility and faith. If he has those two things, he can do anything. Doesn't need talent. Just needs humility and faith. And God can do wonderful things. So we've got to take it serious, though. And we've got we've got a God cared about their fellowship. And then, I'll just say this quickly. God cared about their future. He was saying to them, I'm going to bring you into... This country of Canaan. I've promised it to Isaac, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm going to get you guys to that land. Just trust me. And and God's got a wonderful future for us as we read in the Bible. And I think Dad's preached recently. We think, talk about heaven. He's had a great future for us. One that we look forward to today. one day. We'll be reunited with loved ones. We'll spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be a wonderful thing. That's our future. That's our hope. That's our confidence. But we have a good future on this earth too. We just got to get back to fellowship with him and trusting him. And so, what do you do when your worst fears come to pass? Everything Moses worried about actually happens. So he could look at God and say, told you so, God. He could. But then, in a few chapters, God's going to look back at Moses and say, hey, told you so. Told you so. I'm going to show myself strong on behalf of Pharaoh. Because God's working a big story when we're just focused on ourselves a lot of times. God's going to humble Pharaoh. God's going to prove himself to two million Israelites. God's going to tear down every false Egyptian God that he can when we get into those plagues. I won't be here next week. But, but you'll probably hear this comment next week where my brother didn't teach the right lesson. All right? Watch this. All right? Just kidding. Now if he doesn't say it, you'll say he didn't. Maybe I'm just dead wrong. But almost every plague attacks one of the Egyptian gods. So God's showing himself big. He's going to show all those Egyptians, hey, I'm bigger than your gods. And so frogs, you have a God to the frogs, I'm bigger than the God of the frogs. He's going to show himself bigger and all. And that's why, I'm getting so far ahead of myself, but that's why in a few weeks, whenever those Israelites go out and they're looking back going, yes, and they're celebrating and they're leaving, some of those Egyptians are going, I'm going with them. And it's called the mixed multitudes the mixed multitudes there's going to be some of the Egyptians are going to actually go with the Israelites because they saw the power of God so God's working a big story while we're focused on ourselves and so were they some of those mixed multitudes now getting a little farther ahead of myself those mixed multitudes are going to cause a lot of problems in the future but they believed in God so a lot coming up in Exodus I'll be gone next week um, my brother's going to teach and if he doesn't say that raise your hand and say hey your brother said you need to no do not do that please don't not do that Because very good chance I'm dead wrong. And if that's the case, he's dead right. All right, just go with that. Let's pray.